Brought a Bible, Luke chapter 8 is where we are at. We're finishing up this series called Flip the Switch. If you're new to the whole Bible thing, that's okay. In the front of your Bible, there should be a table of contents. You can find the page number for Luke there. Are you excited this morning? I'm excited. This has been one of my favorite series to go through. Uh, If you missed any of the uh, sermons, uh, you can check them out online. Week one, we talked about turning off the dark. That there's some sin in your life. God came to illuminate that, to blow it up, uh, to, to get it out of your life. And there's some, in, in fact, there's some things that you need to flip the switch on, and there's some things that you need to flip the switch off. That's the entire premise for the series. The second week, we talked about the fact that we have believed some lies. Now, in fairness, we don't know their lies or we wouldn't believe them. It's why you can't trust the carrot. That would make more sense if you were here. But uh, you can, we, week three, we talked about our boy Naaman and how he was a little bit too big for his britches. We flipped the switch on pride off. Then we talked about uh, last week that we need to flip the switch on faith. That sometimes it's not our faith, it's our friend's faith. And they have faith for us. Today we're going to flip the switch on fear. I titled my message, Batten Down the Hatches. Hello. Now, in Kansas, BDH has a little bit different connotation than what was originally intended. When we think batten down the hatches, we think tornadoes. You need to hide your wife, hide your kids, you know, get them out of the suck zone so they don't get siphoned up with uh, Dorothy and Toto and the two dudes in the rowboat, lady <laughs> knitting, you know what I'm talking about, rocking chair. That's what batting down the hatches in Kansas is all about. We've got to avoid the tornadoes, which as a Kansan, I'm okay with that, but that's not how the phrase originated. It was originally a sailing term. Boats would have open uh, uh, main decks so that water could get below, uh, so it would drain out, or uh, uh, the sailors would actually go down below. It's where they stored food. It's where they slept. And so hatches were left open to get sunlight down there and all those types of things. And so to batten down the hatches was to seal off that main deck. If you got too much water in the hole, this, uh, the ship would sink. In the same way, I believe that there are some proverbial storms that we all go through in life. It might be the loss of a loved one or a miscarriage or a bad relationship or a poor financial decision. Uh, it could be for you a storm, could be abuse or uh, uh, it could be depression or addiction. Whatever it is, we all take on water, so to speak, and so we need to seal up certain parts of our lives so that we don't drown in the weight of our own fear and anxiety and panic. But there is hope. There's a reason we can seal up those those hatches. There's a way we can do that. There's good news. Jesus told us there's nothing to worry about in this world, that we will have problems, but we can take heart because He has overcome the world. And so we need to figure out how we can flip the switch on fear. You should have found Luke chapter 8. We're going to pick it up in verse 22. It reads, One day... Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. 
So they got into a boat and started out. As they sailed across, Jesus settled down for a nap. But soon a fierce storm came down on the lake. The boat was filling with water, and they were in real danger. The disciples went and woke him up, shouting, Master, Master, we're going to drown. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves. Suddenly the storm stopped, and all was calm. Then he asked them, Where is your faith? The disciples were terrified and amazed. Circle, star, underline, highlight, whatever you do. Terrified and amazed. Who is this man, they asked each other. When he gives a command, even the wind and waves obey him. Jot this down if you're taking notes. Here's the thesis for my entire message. One sentence, fear put in its proper place leads to purpose. Fear put in its proper place will lead to purpose. I want to help you discover that fear can be a good thing. When you put it in its proper place, it can help you lead to your purpose. Let me pray for our service. God, again, we thank you for the opportunity to come and gather in this place. We believe this is your word. We believe you want to help us, to instruct us, to transform us into the image of your son. Do what only you can do now. Send your Holy Spirit, fill us, lead us, guide us, direct us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I know I've said this before, but anytime you read the Bible, I would encourage you, don't just read it out of a duty or a sense of, I have to do this. I've been told that uh, I'm supposed to read the Bible. This is just a checklist off my to-do list. And uh, don't read the Bible in such of a fashion as you're reading Put yourself in the scene. Star Trek, transport yourself, like dematerialize yourself out of your living room and beam yourself to the scene of the story. Rematerialize yourself. Investigate what's happening. You need to be like a detective trying to figure out why God chose to put this story of all the stories that He could have put in His book. Why did He choose to put this story and this specific event here? This is particularly helpful in our situation this morning because we're not given a lot of context to the story. It just starts out one day, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. Well, why did the Jesus cross the lake? To get to the other side, right? You see what I, see what I did there? Moving right along. Uh, but honestly, ask yourself, why did Jesus want to cross the lake? What was on the other side? Uh, It's helpful to know your Bible here because there's actually two other accounts of this story recorded for us in Matthew and Mark. Uh, Not only did Luke write about it, but the other two writers shared their perspective on the storm as well. So we know from Matthew's version that the lake they're on is technically the Sea of Galilee. Uh, It's known by different names depending where you grew up. Some call it the Sea of Galilee. Some call it Lake Gennesaret. Some call it Lake Tiberias. It's no different than uh, when you cross over the Atlantic Ocean. Some people call it crossing the pond. Okay. We also learn from Matthew that 13 miles 
on the other side of the lake where Jesus said, hey, let's cross, there is the city of Gadara. A group of folks called the Gadarenes lived there. If you know your Bible, these are the descendants of the tribe of Gad, one of the original 12 tribes of Israel. But despite their Semitic origin, we know that money mattered to them more than God because they were in the business of selling pigs. This was an animal that was forbidden by God, considered unclean for the Jews. So we know that they loved uh, money more than God because uh, they were selling an animal they were forbidden by God to do. I think the lesson we should learn from that is when you open the door to compromise, you shut the door to conviction. The Gadarenes didn't start out raising pigs, but slowly... Over time, they realized how much money they could make. They realized that, uh, and Jesus said, where your, your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So they weren't following God after with their whole heart because they decided that they wanted to make more money uh, despite being Jewish descendants of Abraham. They were doing things forbidden by God. Uh, that was appalling, really, in the sight of the Lord. Perhaps you've been there. You've shut the door to conviction. You've stopped listening to the input of your family and friends. You're surrounding yourself with people who will agree with you because you've compromised on one area. Now you want to hear that it's okay. You're looking for approval. You're not really looking for advice, despite the fact that you might ask for it. That's the Gadarenes. Uh, We know that there were two men in particular who were in the city of Gadara, and they were really hurting. Yet the people of, <coughs> excuse me, the city cared more about their pigs than they did these two men. This is the reason why Jesus needed to cross the lake. Uh, he knew that there were two men ready to respond. It's the same reason he came to this earth to seek and save the lost. He knew that there were men ready for help that they would respond to His invitation to relationship. This was a rescue boat. Jesus was on a rescue mission. I almost titled the message this morning, Don't Hassle the Hoff. But then I thought I was (laughs) treading in some maybe heretical, tumultuous waters by comparing Jesus to David Hasselhoff. But the boys and girls at Baywatch were often on rescue missions as well. Jesus here is on a rescue mission. But here's what I want you to realize. If you don't feel like Jesus is currently a part of your life, it's not because He isn't willing, it's because He isn't welcome. That's what we see in this story. Jesus is a gentleman. He won't ever force you into something you're not willing to do. One of the most terrifying concepts within all of Scripture is that God will eventually turn your, you over to make decisions on your own. Anybody else, that hasn't worked out well in the past, right? You made some bad decisions. I'm the only one. Okay. Well, there's a few more hands going up. I see. Uh, but uh, God is not going to interfere where He isn't welcome. And what you need to realize is that uh, you got to welcome Jesus into the process and ask Him for some help. Now, if you read on in Matthew's version of this story, you'll see that Jesus accomplishes His mission. He delivers these two men from the trouble they were in, yet the Gadarenes told Jesus to leave. And Jesus won't stay where He isn't wanted, so He obliged, which just proves my point. Fear 
put in its proper place will lead to purpose, while fear put in its improper place will lead to passivity. The Gadarenes were presented with an opportunity to change their lives and passionately pursue Jesus. You know that Jesus eliminated a portion of their livestock in their pigs, and they could have had the opportunity to then trust Jesus with their whole heart. They decided not to because they were afraid of it, what it would cost them, and they missed their moment. I don't want that for you. I don't want you to miss out on all that Jesus has for you. I want you to encounter Him and understand the blessing and purpose and power that He's ready to give you when you welcome Him into your life. But it's worth pointing out that when you do that, when you welcome Jesus, where there's an invitation, there will always be interference. You can jot that down. Where there's an invitation, there will always be interference. Jesus and His disciples are on a rescue mission. This storm is nothing less than a tactic of the enemy to keep Jesus from where He was going to go and from the people who needed to hear from Him. This disturbance was a diversion. This downpour was meant to be a distraction. It was meant to scare the disciples. It was meant to uh, try and convince them to abandon ship. It almost worked. So it will be with you. The devil is not excited when you answer God's invitation to get involved. He is not happy when you contribute to the purposes of God or when you serve the mission of God. It's why you'll encounter interference. Our enemy, the devil, who is real, wants to keep you selfish and myopic, thinking about only yourself. That's why he'll put a storm in your life. He'll put an interruption in front of you so you'll start thinking about you and how all these things are only happening to you and it uh, will lead you away from your main purpose, which is to lead other people to Jesus. It's part of the reason we do things at this church like small groups and like tithe challenges and like serve days. It's why we're having a Compassion Sunday today because there's an entire world out there who needs to hear about the love of God. We've got to get the focus off of ourselves and what we like and what we don't like. And oh, the music is too loud and the clothes are too messy and the hats are on backwards and, and we don't, uh, no, you go, you're in my seat and, and no, 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 no. That's just all a windstorm from the enemy trying to blow us off course. You know what I'm talking about? God has invited you to be part of his story. If you're a Christian, He's invited you to His party. You've got the golden ticket, but you've also got a plus one. You're supposed to bring some people with you. Found people, find people. So you need to be constantly looking outside of yourself into this world towards the lost, broken, and dying world around us. I believe that's part of the reason why God recorded this story for us in this book to remind us that when redemption is on the line, there will always be resistance. Luke is trying to let us know that we need to expect the storms. We need to expect the precipitation in our lives because that's that's what happens when the opportunity for salvation is getting served up. God is trying to let us know there's nothing to be scared of. 
we batten down the hatches and we push through. Amen, somebody? Maybe this will help some of you. Challenges are always in front of you, right? If uh, a challenge is behind you, it's no longer a challenge. It's an obstacle that you've overcome. So the hurdle is always out here. The problem is too many of us are running the race backwards. We're looking behind us. And so when we hit that storm, it's always unexpected. We never saw it coming. The worst storms are always the ones you don't prepare for. And so step one in overcoming fear and panic and anxiety in our lives is to realize on the front end that because we've been invited to participate in God's story, there's always going to be interference. Don't be scared. Be prepared. Okay? Well, how do we do that, Pastor? Well, that's point two. Don't trust what you see. Remember what He said. Don't trust what you see. Remember what He said. The problem isn't our eyes. The problem is our ears. I don't know if you realize this, but when the, uh, uh, in, in the Bible, in the, in the context of uh, when it uses the language remembering God... It's over 250 times that God uses that language. Remember me. Remember who I am. Remember what I did for you. Remember how I've brought you through. Remember that time the Egyptian army was chasing after you and I parted the Red Sea and you were able to cross over on dry ground and then I drowned the uh, ensuing soldiers Remember that time you marched around the city of Jericho seven times with only trumpets. Uh, You put on the whole band uniform and the feathered hats and then you yelled and then the walls fell down. There was uh, like you did nothing there. I did all of that. Remember that time I healed the blind man with only some uh, spit and some dirt. You you know, remember the time I fed 5,000 people with only five loaves and two fish. You see, every emergency is God's opportunity. You know, every setback that you encounter is just a set up for God to do something amazing in your life. Whatever you're going through, remember that God has promised every one of His commands comes with the power to complete the problem. And so when Jesus said, let's cross over to the other side of the lakes, the disciples should have realized they had the authority to get to the other side. That nothing was going to prevent them from getting over there. They should have remembered that Jesus always completes His missions. They should have trusted their ears and not their eyes. They were seeing a storm, but God had promised them safety. Now, lest we be too hard on them, many of us are the same way. Many people I know are waiting for the perfect conditions to occur before they accomplish their calling. Well, once I get these debts paid off, then I'll start giving. You know, once these kids get out of school and we're not so busy, then I'll start serving. Once my job slows down, once I get more grounded, once I really start following Jesus, then I'll get baptized. It's like once I see Bigfoot riding a unicorn, carrying a pot of gold across a rainbow, then I'll see that God is real, right? I mean, this is what some people like to think, but that's the wrong attitude. Smooth seas never led to a skilled sailor. 
You know, there's storms that you have to do. Hardships are meant to prepare ordinary people for extraordinary destinies. It's God's way of showing you that you already have what it takes to accomplish the mission when you trust in Jesus because God's Spirit is living in you. Like, do you really believe Jesus led you to this point so that He could watch you die in a storm? Do you really believe God has just led you out to sea to abandon you and all hope? I don't. Isaiah 40 says, Haven't you heard? Don't you understand? Are you deaf to the words of God? God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. He spreads out the heavens like a curtain and makes His tent from them. Isaiah is confirming for us that the problem isn't our eyes, it's our ears. Haven't you heard? God is completely in control. He's not panicked. He's sitting in His chair using the heavens as a curtain on the front of His tent, like a mosquito net, because even God doesn't like mosquitoes. You know what I'm talking about. But He's lounging. He's not panicked. Now, don't mistake his lounging as laziness. The reason he's not stressed out is because he knows he's already given you everything you need. Now, I understand that that's hard to believe when that nor'easter is driving the wind and the rain and the snow into your face, and it feels like you're calling out to God, but he's not listening. But that's why you can't trust what you see. You have to remember what he's said. And he said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Take heart. Be of good courage. Over 250 times. Remember how I've come through every single time. God says, I can see the storm, but I can also see that you've got this because of who I am and because of the trust you have in Jesus and because of the power I've promised you in the Holy Spirit. It's worth pointing out that this Sea of Galilee that we're on is 700 feet below sea level, according to the most trustworthy resource I know aside from the Bible, Wikipedia. It it says it's the lowest fresh body of water on the planet. And so when you combine that with the fact that we're in the middle of a desert and we're surrounded on three sides by 3,000 foot tall cliffs, you can have what's only described as a tropical biosphere all happening within this water. Next to the sea, they grow bananas. Uh, the warmth of the water creates massive amounts of plankton and fish. One year they hauled out 270 tons of tilapia. It's a lot of fish tacos. You know what I'm talking about? But the atmospheric pressure above the lake and these cold regions on the top of these 3,000 foot tall cliffs create very erratic and dangerous storms. I'm no Merrill Teller, but when I, I know that when hot, dense air collides with cold, dry air, you get the uh, recipe for tempestuous weather. They have recorded, since they've you know, started monitoring this stuff, 10-foot-high waves on this lake, on this Sea of Galilee. That's no small squall, y'all. You, you see what I'm saying? Like, that's, 
some big things happening. And we just read that the boat Jesus and his disciples are on, it began to take on water. Keep in mind, at least six of these disciples used to be fishermen, so this certainly wasn't their first ride on a wave. Yet they're freaking out. And here Jesus is asleep. It's interesting because Mark's account tells us the nap was premeditated. Jesus brought his pillow on board. Never trust the airline's pillows. Okay, always, that's just good advice for, for future life, but uh, always bring the roll and go, my sleep pillow. But I'm guessing due to the fact that Jesus stayed asleep, he also brought in, you know, his Beats audio noise canceling headphones to not hear anything. Again, just good advice. But Jesus was asleep. His seatbelt was fashioned. His, his tray table was secure in the upright positions. The point is, Jesus asleep wasn't a sign of indifference. It was a clue for how the disciples were supposed to respond. Resting can be an appropriate response during a storm. Some of you right now, you don't need God's divine intervention. You just need a nap. You just need to trust that God has it under control. You know, the same thing happens with Elijah. God says, man, you don't need my help right now. You just need to take a nap. Feeds him. Get some food. Some of us need. Write this down. In the eye of a storm, keep your eye on the Savior. In the eye of a storm, keep your eye on the Savior. When you're in a suspect situation, don't look at something. Look at someone. Remember how our story starts. One day, what day? A day they didn't expect. That's how things will happen in life. It all happened suddenly. You never know for sure on which day the bottom will drop out. On that day, we have to keep our eye on Jesus. You ever been on a bumpy flight before and and looked at the stewardess to, I guess you can't call them that anymore, uh, the flight attendant, you ever been on a, a bumpy flight and looked at the flight attendant, you're going to be politically correct anymore, uh, to see how they respond during the flight. If they keep serving drinks on their battering ram of kneecap terror, then it's fine. You know, they've, you know, this is not their first flight. This is not their first storm. You're okay. It happens all the time. But if they sit down and in the jump seat and buckle up, things have gotten a little more serious. You should maybe uh, start, you know, praying or whatever. If they cross themselves, you know, head, crotch, watch, wallet, you're dead. Okay, just sign. You might as well, you know, sign off on that because the plane is gone. Uh, well, in the same way, keep your eyes on the Savior in the middle of a storm. See how Jesus responds in any given situation. 2 Corinthians 4.16 tells us that this is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. That's Jesus. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Summarize that 
like this. Don't look at what's rocking the boat. Look at who's in the boat. Jesus promised He would be with you no matter what. Just for the record, that's what faith is. Faith is obeying what you know. We know that Jesus has overcome the world and storms don't have to derail our story, but we've got to flip the switch on fear. Why are you afraid? If you're a Christian, the God of the universe who gives your direction will always give your provision. Love what Psalms says, 46. God is our protection and our strength. He always helps in times of trouble. So we will not be afraid even if the earth shakes or the mountains fall into the sea, even if the oceans roar and foam or the mountains shake at the raging sea. Come on, somebody. That's good news. The disciples, they would have known that psalm, yet they forgot that God's always with them. They, they were forgot what they heard. The God, the God I serve will not fail me. The God I serve us, if He is for us, who can be against us? You realize there's no such thing as opposition when you're God, Right? I mean, this notion that somehow there's an equal, uh, you know, to balance out the force that we've got ultimate good, we've got to have all that's, that's ridiculous. When you read Revelation and God shows up for the second time, all he does is speak and it's over. There ain't no battle. He speaks a word, game over. Because there is no opposition for our God. So don't trust what you see. Remember what He said. And if you're going to fix your gaze on something, make it a someone. And it's in Jesus. Do what Jesus does during a storm. Now, I want you to notice two things as we kind of close and land the plane. First of all, when uh, Jesus, after Jesus calms the storm, he asks the disciples, where is your faith? As if to imply, you had enough faith, you just put it in the wrong place. I think that's true for many of us today. Your problem isn't that you need more faith. Your problem is you put your faith in the wrong place. Well, if I just had the money... Well, if, if I just got married, things could be fine. If I just had a new job, if I just had more friends, if people would just surround me, if I could just kick this habit, well, maybe all of those things could happen if you just put your faith in Jesus. Amen. Where is your faith? Jesus was asking that in a very real way, not just to his disciples, but to us today. The other thing I want to remind you of is how it all started. That when I told you to circle and star underline uh, that the disciples were terrified and amazed. When Jesus calms the storm, they were terrified and amazed. Meaning, fear put in its proper place will lead to purpose. The Bible tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The reason I came to church today is to remind somebody that you got to flip the switch on fear, on the things of this world, off, and you need to flip the switch of fear on when it comes to the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I came to tell somebody that waves and wind aren't the only thing that Jesus promises to calm. 
He promises when you put your trust in Him, when you set your gaze on Him, He promised that He would calm your soul. And it's both terrifying and amazing. If we're going to accomplish all that God has set out for us to do, and we're going to reap the benefits and the blessings that He's promised us, we have to understand that Jesus isn't just some genie granting us wishes. He's the God of the universe who spoke us all into existence, and He's both terrifying and amazing. Yet He's ready to move on your behalf. Fear put in the proper place will lead to purpose. And when you fear the Lord, He scares the pants off your fear. You know what I'm talking about? Like He can eliminate everything that you're going through right this moment. He might not take you out of the storm, but He will certainly get you to the other side. And He'll accomplish His purpose. That's what we see. He went and saved these two men on this rescue mission. He's got you on His boat to a rescue mission. He's going to bring you across to the other side if you'll set your gaze on Him. And you'll be diligent about crossing the lake with Him. Don't forget it. Fear, put in its proper place, which is Jesus, will lead you to your purpose can make it through anything this world throws at you when Jesus is on your side. Amen? Let's all pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. This promise that God has given to calm your soul, it is reserved for those who have trusted Jesus as their Savior. I know that there's probably people here this morning who haven't yet put their trust in Jesus. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that, to reap these benefits that God has promised us. The Bible says, if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. That promise of salvation is for you. And so I want to give you a chance to pray a prayer, not because there's magic in the prayer, but because uh, God promised to hear you when you pray. So just in your own heart, you can say, God, I believe I believe in Jesus. I believe in His power. I believe that He can save my soul. I'm sorry I've sinned. I'm sorry I haven't lived the way you've asked me to. But I believe that Jesus has forgiven me. And because He died and rose from the dead, I'm made new. Thank you for saving me. Help me as I leave this place to follow you. And God, I'm just praying on behalf of every person here that you will lead them, that you will encourage them, that just right now they'll feel a supernatural healing come over their body. I'm praying for peace. I'm praying for calm in this storm. God, I know there's financial problems here. I know there's marriage problems here. I know there's battles with addiction. I know there's battles with depression. I know there's just battles raging in each one of our lives, God. I know there's sickness. I know there's cancer. God, I believe you have the power and dominion to take all of these things away from us. 
And so I'm praying right now in faith that you heal bodies, that you restore marriages, that you fix finances. And God, whatever you choose to do, I ask you to take them to the other side in calm and in peace. Help each person here today realize you have what it takes to lead them, direct them, and guide them. You are the answer to all of our problems, God. We turn all of these things over to you. And we ask for stillness and peace in our lives as we leave this place. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.